0: Welcome to the Inspirational Australians Podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Jeff
1: Griffin. Welcome to the Inspirational Dot Australians Podcast. Can you believe we are up to episode 19 already? I apologize that the audio is not great today. Our guest has travelled from home to Darwin uh, for some appointments and he's not in the most ideal location for internet, but I know you're really going to enjoy it anyway. Thank you. Our podcast guest today was the 2019 Glencore MacArthur River Mining Regional and Rural Initiative Award winner for the Northern Territory Young Achiever Awards. Uh, Tonkatua has a double degree in teaching and applied science and is a health and physical education teacher in Northeast Arnhem Land. Mitui is very passionate about bringing young people together through sport and uh, through school. Matui, welcome to the podcast, mate.
0: Thanks for having me on, Jeff. It's, it's very much appreciated. I, um, I'm looking forward to having a chat today.
1: Thank you. And I know you're under adverse conditions there in the parents' room of a, yeah. a child play area. Uh, so I really appreciate it, mate. And, you know, life goes on, doesn't it? So, Mathieu, um, you, you were adopted and uh, you do have a strong relationship with uh, uh, you know people. Can you tell us a bit about your, your history and um, how it got you to where you are today?
0: I'm from North Queensland originally. Um, if you didn't pick it from my name, I am Tongan. I'm Uh, My dad is Tongan, born in Tonga, and my mum's white Australian. And so I started off in North Queensland, you know, from a fairly young age. And going through school, it was a tough one for me. I I had a lot of difficulties in school, just staying focused, I would say. And so the, the reason I wanted to become a teacher was... We, uh, because I really enjoyed the whole playing sport with my friends and, and so I, I figured a good way to you know maybe supplement that was to move into some sort of degree that would allow me into sport and so what ended up happening was I ended up um, starting a degree at James Cook in Townsville and a teaching degree and then one of my subjects while while I was there was um, Indigenous perspectives and so that actually, it it flicked a switch um, for me. And so I decided I would up and leave North Queensland and move up to Darwin, given that the closeness, relatively speaking, with, you know, flights and whatnot, um, the closeness to Aboriginal communities where I was likely to want to work, was, you know, the teaching up here would be more relevant for it. So I transferred up to CDU, Figured I could get two degrees out of what I've already studied with only a little bit more effort. So I um, I did a second degree at the same time, like a, a double degree. I ended up meeting my wife there working at a also younger people. Um, but she was on her study leave, which, which I'm on now. Um, and then I met her and we went out to visit her mum who worked on still works and lives on Elkow Island, and fell in love with the place immediately um, and fell in love in the place. Like I proposed to my wife on this trip as well, fell in love and then ended up on my final practice out there. So I was studying, you know, my last bit of university and ended up in a final practice. And then being even more close with the students at the school in, in a more formal kind of professional way made me really appreciate how amazing the place is and how amazing the people are. And so what ended up happening was I, I decided I would, um, you know, I, I really wanted to come back. And the prac wasn't too long. I think it was maybe about 10 weeks. And during that 10 weeks, I, I was shown around by the family liaison officer at the school. It's probably one of my favorite stories. It's very telling of how he is as a person. Um, the person that adopted me peter peter or Daching, in his role as school liaison officer i would go out with him to visit families of students that were in my class and so we went to one house one day and you know this house the student hadn't you know barely knew me because she wasn't going to school which is why we're visiting there and the parents came out and peter or Daching goes hey this one here, pointing to me, he goes, this one here, we call him Baru because he's fat like a crocodile. <laughs> I was, I was in a in shocked, but then what actually transpired, and it took me, I think, about a day, because I, I wasn't offended, you know, because it, it's more a description, not unnecessarily being mean. So Baru means crocodile in Yirungamata, one of the languages um, up here. And so he goes, yeah, we call him Baru because he's fat like a crocodile. I'm oh, And it didn't click until the next day when i was sitting at home and i go i told my wife grace the story and she's like you know what that means right and i'm like oh no she goes that that's him giving your name like an indigenous name telling you how you fit into the yurunga world i was always open for it and always willing and able to get involved in the culture but that was a bit of a surprise to me. Like it was, it was an incredibly humbling experience and I felt a bit silly that it took that long for me to work it out. What it actually had actually happened was he adopted me and worked it out through my, my wife's adopted from Mill and Gimby. And he had to actually call conversations about making sure that because we're already together, he needed to adopt me so that way I would be the right way in their culture, to marry her, myself and my wife and our kids, our subsequent kids, um, would fit into the appropriate kinship system of the Yirunga culture.
1: Wow. That's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? That's, a, that's an awesome story.
0: And I think it's important for listeners to hear this, is that I'm not actually Indigenous and I don't identify as Indigenous. I'm Tongan, but while I identify as family for, you know, Dating and all the... Um, you know, although you're in the family, I don't actually identify as indigenous.
1: No, but you've been accepted into, into their culture. Uh, so
0: absolutely more, more as a way to fit into their world, their world and the way that things are perceived by your own.
1: You're very clearly passionate about helping people integrate into community mm. and particularly students in terms of your teaching to be the best students they can be. Can you tell us about some of the programs that you've run uh, for young people to help them integrate into school and to be involved in sport?
0: Yep, for sure. So um, in my teaching career at Elko, I got the tap on the shoulder to move across from a re-engagement class, which I loved. Uh, My first ever class was a re-engagement class. I moved across from that into a middle years and then into a um, health and PE role. The thing that I didn't know that I was walking into was a massive event called Arnhem Sports. Um, Arnhem Sports is a, I would argue, one of the longest running um, sporting events no one's ever heard of. Uh, (laughs) It's, uh, I I believe, and, you know, I'm I'm happy to be fact-checked on this, but this is what I've been told by family and stuff, that Arnhem Sports was started back in the day when... That was community education centers and and you know mission schools. At the student athletes really really wanted to have a competition like an inter school kind of competition, and so the the leaders ended up getting their heads together and going right. Let's organise this competition, and they did it. And so there were, you know, hundreds of kilometres away, people travelling back then. You know, you know, transport nowadays around communities is tough back then would be even more hectic, but it just shows how much they wanted this for their communities and their schools. And so what ended up happening is, you know, over the years, over the years, it goes through the schools and then the schools have taken this on board. And so my fir- one of my first major events was obviously our school carnival, but then a few weeks after that was Arnhem Sports, which is approximately 150 people from different communities coming in um sleeping for a week and competing in sports all day every day amazing but tiring and as a first-year teacher at that point i was banging my head against the wall (laughs) because really it's it's more i just didn't know the systems and the processes and whatnot but i I very much lucked out and i will give a give a shout out to anna um anna fraser who's a, a close friend of ours who um, actually helped me through that and picked up a lot of this, like, because my auntie passed away mid through it, and I had to bail from community, and so she picked it up and ran with Arnhem um, Sports while I was away, and actually, you know, her being an experienced teacher helped me a lot. Um, unfortunately, it got postponed because of the cyclones. We got absolutely hammered by cyclones, and it was it was a hard time. Thankfully, no one. I don't believe anyone passed away. No one passed away on Elko, at least. Um, the What happened after the cyclone, though, there was so much damage that the government actually released um, $2 million to be accessed for a community kind of, like a rebound kind of project for the community. So, luckily, the, the, the money that I was then able to access for Arnhem Sports, like I was able to take it to another level and, and get, you know, a hundred grand, um, you know, we work with the other schools. And what we did was we put it all together and we were able to, I was able to get, um, you know, spend a, about a hundred grand on, um, you know, schools, the transport, I paid for everyone's transport from it, the trophies, brand new sporting equipment, and um, also brand new things that could then travel around between communities. Um, for Arnhem Sports to keep going so um, part of that 100 grand was also paid for a container lots of the money were also territory grants and so I was able to access like a heap of different you know pots of money and do up like grant proposals and stuff and then bring in interstate indigenous hip-hop projects I'm sure I don't know if you've heard of IHHP Um, shout out Dion so IHHP came up and I brought them up I think about three or four times you know, the first person that I was lucky enough to bring out Alco was actually Denzel Baker, who's now Baker Boy. And so he was out there, and you know, his his, his sister was in my class and whatnot. So he, like he's got close relations relationships there. Um, but yeah, it was nice um, seeing an up and coming. You, you know how you just look at people and go, man, so much talent. It's surprising where he is nowadays. Yeah. Baker yeah.
1: Boy was actually a winner. Of the Charles Darwin University mm. Arts Award a few years ago. And yep. of course, couldn't make it being in Queensland. He had a concert on and wasn't mm. able to get to the event yep. in Darwin. But they played Baker Boy, one of Baker Boy's songs, the uh, audiovisual, yep. And the vice chancellor who was presenting the award was dancing away on stage. It was very cool. So, a bit like sport, music. Brings people together. That's awesome that you were able to do that because that would have been amazing for everybody involved to hear.
0: Really good, yeah. I really enjoyed the opportunity to be able to. And you know, really, the like I said, the cyclone was an awful thing that smashed us. But on the other side of it, we had the community had access to two million dollars in funding as a bounce back kind of thing.
1: Yeah, fantastic. You know,
0: which was nice of the government to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely brilliant. You've also been involved uh, in coaching and umpiring courses. What were they for and how did they benefit what you do?
0: Yep, so um, while I was working on ALCO, I I got um, in contact with Indigenous Marathon Foundation or Indigenous Marathon Projects. And so that's run by Rob D. Costello. He funds or he runs a program that encourages deadly runners, you know, the deadly runners that are getting, uh, yeah, so all of that sort of thing, so, and what Deeks did, he ended up putting together a program, I'm not sure who was involved, because I wasn't there in the early days of it, but it ended, he ended up wanting to come to Elko Island, um, and setting it up, so Amanda Dent from Indigenous Marathon Foundation ended up flying up, and we put, um, we put together a running track on Elko, um, integrated a, an indigenous sporting curriculum into um, into my program. Um, so you know, running specific games for specific things, and also it also allowed me to work through the health side of it as well, and not just. A lot of the times, you, you find out bush, and I'm not bagging at any teachers, but sometimes you find um, teachers with, who haven't been given opportunities to upskill themselves with you know how to t- how to teach properly with hpe um they haven't been taught properly so they just go outside and play sports with the um with the kids and so and that um sorry there's kids walking past them this <laughs> um so that that kind of frustrated me so um i i made sure that the pe program that we were running which was you know with indigenous marathon foundation was actually a pe program and not just a bit of fun time to play sport Um, and so what that did for me was I identified that all right these people don't have the skills to deliver this program properly what can I do to help that so what I ended up doing was I went out and you know because PE teachers automatically have to run the sports carnivals and so what I ended up doing was going well I'm okay with it but in terms of technical um, the technical aspects of you know, um, track and field, for example, I, I don't know a whole lot in the scheme of things. So what ended up happening was I talked to, it was through Indigenous Marathon Foundation, through them talking to Athletics Australia, that I ended up um, uh, communicating with Athletics Australia and having them send out two of their top coaches to to Reminginning, which is where I moved after Um, Alco Island, I moved to Reminginning, which is another Yungle community, and they ended up sending out two of their top coaches to upskill myself, but um, also with that, I saw it as a good opportunity to go, hey, here, I, I appreciate that, but you're coming up anyway, let's get all these other people in, like, you know, let's get as many people as we can in and, you know, accredited for coaching and stuff, and so what ended up happening was not only I, I, I kind of went a bit over the top with it, I guess, and went, oh, well, I appreciate we're doing this out of school, this heavier stuff, but while you're here, how about we run a like community coaching course for the kids at the school? And then, you know, that's another piece of paper that the kids have. It'll look good on a resume either way, but it'll also give them, more importantly, it'll give them some, you know, new skills. Um, and... That way, the knowledge is kept in community and it doesn't come in with someone like me who, even though I do have an attachment to the community, I'm not going to be there forever. Like, you know, unfortunately, the nature of my role as a teacher is sometimes you know, I have to move on. You know, uh, just depends on staffing and funding. So I thought it'd be a good idea to go, hey, let's get the skills in the community and not just hoarded you know, by the one person, me. Who's heavily involved in the sporting side of it, but not going to be here forever. And so we ended up. I think I can't even remember off the top of my head. I think there were about six six senior students that also ended up with Athletics Australia accreditation. Um, five adult community members, six including myself, that ended up with level level one or level two. Coaching for Athletics Australia, um, and another one. I guess you know, moving on from athletics because I'm sure we'll touch on it later. What, what some other things that happened with athletics? But I also did the same thing with basketball. So I had um, basketball and tea come out um, to Remingning and run a coaching course with adults as well as students at the same time. And so we're able to all upskill together, um, you know, put our money where our mouth, or you know, like, you know, having some accountability about what we, we as teachers say to our to our kids, you know, do this because it's, you know, it'll help you learn, or you know, you'll get better at stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, that will happen. We're going to show you as well. We're going to do it also. Um, yeah, what a yeah.
1: great idea to empower people through. Through teaching, not just the teaching that you provide as part of your roles, but to value add in terms of giving them, as you say, credit, accreditation, which will help them in the future and provide local ongoing knowledge. That's real leadership. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and look,
0: that's, that's been my main thing going into community. Like I've had it written, or, you know, I've, I've always made sure it's clear that whenever I come to a community, my job is actually to put myself out of work. That's, that's what I see my job as, is my job is to make myself redundant. And, and I think at the point where I can do that, that's when you know, real change happens because it's all well and good for me to keep going out there and teaching and teaching. What's the point if I can't get somebody local or you know, um, a, you know, an indigenous person from that community why can't they be the teachers instead of me? So that's, that's, I guess my motto is just make yourself redundant. And and I think that's important for everyone that goes out into a community where your community is in the territory, you can't exactly, as a service provider, you can't set up and make that your home forever in Elko, for example, because it's not really feasible to buy a house there. Um, so it's all publicly provided housing. So eventually, it's gonna go away. Like you know, some the knowledge holder will eventually go away. So let's change the knowledge holder. Let's upskill local people to be able to deliver the jobs that I'm doing anyway. And so that was my biggest thing: making sure that whatever training I got, everyone's got a opportunity to take over from what I'm doing. And you know, hopefully make some money out of it, or at the very least have, get some fun out of it and get more skills in the community. Because you know, it's the more the more that the community learns, the higher the baseline is.
1: Yeah, and I think that's so important to be upskilling people. Have the confidence in yourself and the power within to actually provide upskilling and power for others. And I'm sure, in fact, I know, that was a large part of why you won your Mm. award is because you're a great leader and you empower others so that they, when you move to another school, or another community to do the same, you've left mm. them with that power, the knowledge, and the skills. So, yeah. can you think of any stories that um, have come to pass with students or communities that you've worked of that are really terrific stories of people who have really benefited from your work?
0: Yeah. So, funnily enough, my my favorite. Well, one of my favorite stories. Um, you know, while teaching, isn't actually related to sport. So um, it's more on the health side. Um, So while while teaching at Reminginning, I um, implemented a health program, you know, rather than going to the curriculum, looking at the curriculum and pulling out what the kids, what I think the kids might need or what's mandated for the kids. I went to the community members and schooling stuff and you know of course the kids because the kids have always got to have a hand in their um, education um, and what we did was we identified what things needed to be addressed in, in terms of health and not I, I don't want to say radical but it was a bit of a it was a bit of a different way to approach it was take a problem and build a health program around it so the problem that we faced was mob mentality everyone running to watch fights for example or running to a snake and cornering it and getting scared and so that mob mentality was we were finding was actually putting people in danger and so we worked together and put together a program that would go into what mob mentality was and how it affects and and the way that you know the individualization of people is taken out when there's a mob you know people and the accountability so it was more about teaching kids that, no, no, you're still you, even in a mob. You're still accountable for your actions and all those sorts of things, but also giving them the, um, you know, the, the knowledge of what them rushing to a large mob does. My favorite part of that story is that I use a few different ways to assess. I had a student who, who hadn't been very much. He, he was just there um, during a funeral um in community during a funeral from a different community and he came in and he he didn't really know me but I was we went through our work and then we did a um assessment piece at the end which was a you know a questionnaire for him because he'd missed a lot of the other stuff so I had to go through a questionnaire and every question I asked him for example you know what's the function of your heart and um you know, lungs and how they relate, you know, like those sorts of things or what happens if you're running towards a snake and encouraging other people to, just just general questions like that. And he was getting so flustered and frustrated with himself because he knew the stuff and he was sitting there telling himself like, oh, it's this in language, in first language. He was telling himself the answers in first language and then going in English like, sorry, I don't know because he couldn't put the words in English. Yes. I just kept going through all the questions and he'd be sitting there telling himself, he's like, it's this, 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 but how do I say it in English? And he's like, oh, sorry, I give up, I don't know. And so I went to the end and I'm like, well done, mate, you've got a B for um, your health. And he's like, I didn't answer any questions. I'm like, you did, you just didn't answer them in English. <laughs> and he looked at me funny. And there was this moment of, wait, he's understood me the whole time? Maybe I shouldn't have sworn at him the other day. Maybe <laughs> um, just clicked. Like he's just, I, I can understand what he was saying, and I was able to assess him because I could understand the language. I told him because he was still like, you know, jaw on the floor kind of stuff. And I said, "Look, mate, what's this test about?" And he's like, "Oh, it's about health." And I'm like, "Cool. Does health have to be in English?" And he's like, "No, not at all." And so it clicked finally that. I'm not testing, you know, I wasn't there testing his English. I was there testing to make sure he's got the concepts solidified in his head. And so that was an incredibly powerful moment for me and you know, I'm already pro bilingual, um but that really solidified it. So um I I'm lucky the um the first school I ever went to was a bilingual school and and not running as well as it could be, but the people that were involved were making it work. And so what I saw from that was so much passion and love from the kids all school because they were seeing that. Hang on, my language is my culture, and therefore my culture is being respected in the school because it's be, the concepts are being taught in my language, you know. And that's that's nice. And you know, when I say my language, I'm I'm paraphrasing for sort of, not actually my language, but you know, you get what I'm saying. With you know, the, I think the kids really, really appreciated being able to learn in first language. And, you know, in in my case with um, with that student was, he was able to be assessed in his first language. There should be so much more bilingual funding as well as bilingual accountability, um, bilingual funding accountability um, in school because studies say it, like any, any kind of study, and I'm happy to reference this because I've referenced it a few times, um, there are a few a lot of studies that say language is culture for Indigenous people. You know, that that's, that's the connection there. Um, and if language is culture and you're not teaching kids or embracing their first language, you're not embracing their culture. And how can you expect kids to come into school, learn for six hours a day and, you know, in a formal setting? And how can you expect them to do that when they don't feel respected? You know, it it could be a potentially game-changing thing if bilingual education was funded more appropriately.
1: I I couldn't agree more. And I wonder um, how difficult is it for you if you go from one community to another? And I do know that uh, each community has different language or slightly different language. How Mm. hard is it for you to pick up on a new language when you move?
0: um so conveniently Remengining and alko uh or and Galuing have fairly similar languages Remening the main language um is gupungu which is a Yrita language whereas on alco the language of instruction at school was jambarpun they're both mutually intelligible, and have, like a very very similar um yeah. which was lucky for me because um it made my transition in terms of language easy. But in terms of transitioning, as, like me going over to there, because of, um, like I explained before, Arnhem Sports, and because of the, what's it called? I think it's called the Jungle Instant Messenger. Everybody knew I was coming before I was even there.
1: <laughs> the good old Grapevine, as we call it.
0: Exactly. And there, there is no better Grapevine than the Jungle Grapevine. Like they knew everything like the people in Ramaginning knew everything about me before I even got there
1: that's funny I made some what motivates and drives your passion to keep making a difference I'm
0: spiteful (laughs) I hate I hate 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 seeing and I shouldn't sorry I shouldn't use (laughs) the hate in the middle of my parents room but um I I I very dislike very much dislike when kids don't get a uh, equal, like, get given the opportunities that they deserve. You know, every kid deserves to play sport. Every kid deserves to have, you know, a variety of sports. Because we know, in the science community, we know that staying in one sport too early, you know, is detrimental. You know, to to kids excelling in in you know their future sports. So, what I try to do, because natural athletes, like absolute freakish athletes in community. They were very pigeonholed in what they were able to do. Some, well, the, some of the kids, because they were like, "I'm really good at footy, so I'm going to focus really hard on footy." So what I tried to do was, no, let's not focus on just one sport. Let's actually go multiple sports, and you know, change things up a bit. And that way, kids are getting better at their main sport, but through avoiding burnout and you know all that sort of thing, they're able to play in different sports and then get better at their initial sport or their favorite sport. You know, my passion actually comes from my love of sport and a bit of frustration around me not having access to sport as a young, younger person. Like I lived out in the middle of the bush and so it was a bit tough to get to, you know, trainings twice a week and um, games on the weekend. So I just never did. And I found that tough because of where I was based, that. I didn't have sport and I'm like, well, that's not really a good enough, you know, reason. So, you know, in the middle of Arnhem Land on a remote island, surely we can have some more different sports. And so that's how it all started, you know, really with the passion and stuff. I just love sport, you know, and it, it probably be fair to argue that it's in my blood as well, being Tongan.
1: Yeah, and you missed out, so you wanted to make sure that others didn't. And I love that. Uh, giving back, yep. paying it forward, uh, even though uh, you have it yourself, you wanted to give others the opportunity. And the great thing with sport, of course, is it teaches us teamwork, social cohesion, and discipline. It really makes yep. us understand the importance of working together. Matui, changing pace for a moment, what's something that we might not know about you?
0: Might not know is that I have my fourth child on the way. Congratulations. Um, January 14, I've got a little. Little boy coming. Uh, so that'll be three boys and one girl. They're currently out there terrorising mummy.
1: <laughs> I think boys are hard work too. Though. To me, to think... be are more active.
0: Yeah. <laughs> My two boys are um, autistic as well, so uh, both ASD. And so that presents its own challenges. It is much more difficult, but still equally fulfilling. I, I don't want to say more fulfilling as a parent because obviously that's a bit of a crappy thing to say, but I I think it's as fulfilling, you know, to parent, my two ASD kids uh, who are amazing and likely the third is, she's a bit young to be diagnosed and presents differently, but you know, because we know female autism is a lot different than male autism, generally speaking, so. Well,
1: that uh, presents um, difficulties as a parent, but uh, rewarding when you see young people with autism grow and develop it. Lucky you're a teacher because it takes a lot of teaching and training and working with the children and patients. But um, I do speak firsthand as well with firsthand knowledge, but uh, it's one of the the development that you can help with. So all power to you and to your wife with number four coming. That's brilliant. Matui, do you think becoming a winner in the Young Achiever Awards helped your work with young people or your credibility at all? I find it
0: incredibly hard taking compliments and that obviously it's a massive compliment and so I I haven't reflected on it because I find it so difficult taking compliments. I I think it could be a cultural thing or just the way I was raised. Um, What it did do, it allowed me to use my voice while I was there to say the things that, I'm not sure if you remember my speech, but I was able to, this is part of my passion. I delivered my speech, which was meant to be one minute, um, turned it into six minutes because I delivered it in three different languages because I wanted everybody to hear what I was saying. And I can't honestly stand up there and say, you listen, you need to hear me if I'm not giving it to people in their own language. Obviously, I couldn't do every language there, but the languages that I can speak, I could do it. So I, I delivered it in... I um, actually did it in Pongo, which is, um, yeah, not my clan language because I, my adopted father hasn't taught me gumach, much. Daching, I'm looking at you, Um, which is a different language. Uh, And the other, you know, and it's, this is one of my other highlights from it. What actually came from me getting nominated and, and, you know, me winning was the next year. There were three people from Remen getting nominated, um, which is this year. And one of them is a finalist. Jack Gumbler, oh, okay. who's a really good friend of mine. Um, and we worked together at Remingin And Amazing guy, absolutely phenomenal. And I, I, I think everybody deserves to win, but I don't know the other guys, so I can't speak for them. But Jack, I can't speak highly enough of him. He is a phenomenal human being and a hard worker. And his heart, his heart is for the community.
1: Well, there's a couple of things straight away that I can see as a result of you winning the award. And who could forget uh, how inspiring that delivery was that in itself provided an opportunity for you to say how important it is for everybody to be heard. But also Jack being a finalist in itself was just fantastic. So a great outcome. Would you encourage, now I know you're, you're, don't like to be acknowledged, but it is really nice to get that pat on the back. And whilst we don't go out of the way and we get embarrassed, it is really nice for someone to say, you know what, I think you're doing a great job. So that in itself is is really awesome. Would you encourage people to nominate other people, to nominate young people for the awards? Yeah, for sure. So um,
0: the awesome thing that's coming about it is other people are getting nominated, yes, but what I'm doing is whenever I'm seeing like a Facebook ad or something, um, I'm, you know, for nominate this person, I'm actually getting in there and, and nominating people now because of, you know, as much as I say, I didn't like the compliment it. felt good to be acknowledged for the work that I've done. My most recent nomination, I'm not, I need to follow up with it because I, I, I've been a bit off the air in terms of emails and whatnot, um, was outlook psychology. Um, in Nullumbu as as a small business award. And I believe there were one of the psychologists that worked there who was one of my colleagues also um, was nominated for Young Achiever this year around. She was a semi-finalist. Um, hey, Tamika, how are you? Um, and so, yeah, she was really good. And I will say, like, to, to go on a bit of a more serious um, note, The reason I was able to nominate them is because, and and I think it's not talked enough about, especially as males, um, Polynesian males in particular, that um, that sometimes, and and sorry if this is kind of getting a bit off track, but I think it's important um, because I I like my kids to hear it nice and I would hope that other people would want their kids to hear that, you know, sometimes crap happens in life and you need to access, you know, You know, for example, I accessed Outlook Psychology after my previous role because it was such a full-on role. Um, Following on from the awards, I was um, promoted. I was headhunted into a senior teacher role over in Nolumboy. And so I ran that program with a bunch of students who are disempowered and disenfranchised by the system. So Indigenous, bilingual students mostly. And so the role that I was put in because of, I guess, you know the stuff that I'd done previously with engagement, as well as you know language. It, it, it was a tough role, and it took a toll because you know there's a lot of needling in in that space in in Over Nilenburg. and and so what ended up happening to me was I ended up um, being diagnosed with anxiety um, after that sort of stuff. And so what happened was I I sought out some help. You know, which it's okay to say you're not okay. Absolutely. And I encourage people, you know, anyone listening to please don't put it off. Like I put it off for ages and I was in a much worse spot. I knew I could have, um, I knew I would have been better sooner had I have gotten out in front of it a bit more. And so um, I'm currently managing that, which is why I'm on study leave now. Well, part of the reason why I'm on study leave, because I needed that time to get my head right after, I guess, burning the candle at both ends for so long. But I will also point out that I, I highly doubt that I'm doing much more than any other teacher. Um, because, you know, teachers absolutely work their bottoms off and and I guess they don't really get acknowledged for it normally. And, and you know, part of my speech was saying that I'm being acknowledged for what I've done, but what I do is what all the other teachers also do. If you want to put a bit of effort in, it'll go on away and and I think most of the teachers, especially our Bush in remote Northern Territory are, you know, they're working incredibly t- hard. And, you know, particularly this year where some teachers haven't left community all year. I, and, and I guess that's a bit of my imposter syndrome is I feel bad a little bit for winning the award when I know there are so many other people doing the same amount, if not more than me.
1: Look, I think winning your award, what, it's, what it does it also adds value to every teacher who is making a difference and working like you, working so hard to make a difference in the community, it actually adds value. You should never feel like an imposter because you're doing extraordinary work, but it does say so much for all teachers, the value. And that's why uh, Glencore uh, River Mining, and also of course, the uh, NT government support these awards and there is an NT government young indigenous educator award as well so never feel like an imposter or that uh, you feel bad because you won an award over someone else because you are extraordinary what you're doing is making such a difference in your communities in part because what you're doing is providing the skills for people to continue on in your place Mm -hmm when you leave, and that is such a valuable tool. Uh, What do you think the the world needs more of right now? Masks and common sense?
0: (laughs) No, Um, what the world needs more of is an appreciation and empathy, appreciation of other people, not just appreciation of the people close to you, but appreciation of what other people around you have done and are doing. Um, Because there are so many people doing so many things, I think it's important that people take a moment to appreciate what other people do, you know, not just for them, but for other people. And, you know, even people doing stuff for themselves, sometimes that's what people need. And so I think if we could have a bit more appreciation around the world, perfect world, it it would go a long way. Um, and, you know, showing a bit of empathy, I'm seeing, like, the ter- in the territory especially, there's so much hate towards... Um, young black kids you just have to stop and have a moment of empathy and say so much funding has been cut from youth services and youth programs and then the crime rate goes up so I'm, I'm just saying like you know maybe look at the obvious have a bit of appreciation but have a bit of empathy that when you were a kid and when you know when I was a kid we had more programs there was a little bit more funding around we were able to do different things but as the funding keeps decreasing and decreasing and decreasing in, in youth services and, and you know, um, intervention type programs, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, 100% of um, kids in detention in the Territory are Black. It's just something that's bugging me this morning, but it has bugged me for a long time, which is why I bring it up now, that everyone just needs a little bit more appreciation, like I said, but also a little bit more empathy. Um, you know, have a heart. These are kids, you know, they're 10-year-olds locked up
1: know what their circumstances are, their backgrounds, how tough they've done it, you know, and they need our help, uh, not our criticism. Oh, you. So you're absolutely right. Particularly all young people uh, are just living, they're investigating life and doing things, and we don't know their circumstances. So yeah. we just really need to be empathetic, as you say. And I think you're right. That is something that the world's missing, is understanding and empathy and appreciating that if someone is, even if it's just having a bad day, we don't know why and don't judge someone mm-hmm. on what you see. So you're spot on and absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And then we need to do so much more to make a difference mm. in the broader community, particularly for young people, which is you know, what your focus is. So mm. more power to you for that. Hey, Matui, what's, um, you, when you finish your study leave, what's next for you? What do you, you think on the cards for you?
0: So we are currently sitting on, I'm gonna take leave and be stay at home, Dad. Um, which I just adore absolutely adore because um, which surprises a lot of people I mean you look at me I'm a I'm a massive islanded dude with a scruffy face and who looks mean and you know um, and so I I like challenging that narrative around big scruffy dudes and their loving little children like that that's what I love doing and so my wife and I've talked and so We've decided I'll go under study leave, but we're currently trying to work out where we're going to be for next year. Um, she has an application for us to stay. We're currently based in Meningrida, so she wants to, uh, we, we both want to stay there, but we'll see how that goes. We'll find out in the next week or so. Um, if not, then it's back to the farm for a little bit while the kids are young and maybe do relief teaching. And I, I've been offered a few jobs over in Queensland uh, in the Indigenous space, but I think... I need to rebuild my mental well-being before I can head back in and work with, you know, likely traumatised kids. Because I'll, I'll I'll likely stay in the indigenous space, and statistically speaking, we know that there's a lot of trauma in indigenous families, you know, and systemic um, through to you know intergenerational stuff. Yeah. So I don't think I'm as useful as I can be to as an ally to work in the field just yet because, well, not necessarily work, but dedicating as much as I want to dedicate. I know I can do it. It would be a big toll.
1: Takes a lot out of you, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I had the good fortune a little while ago to work with a lady by the name of Nicole Brown, who is the deputy chair of the Larrakia Nation Aboriginal Corporation. Mm. And uh, she is such a beautiful soul and larrakia woman herself it was a joy to to work with her and i I sort of understand what you're saying so um all power to you for the work you do be strong it takes a long time to change attitudes and um, you know people's perceptions so hang in there, keep working, because what you're doing is actually making a difference where it counts with young people. Get uh, get strong, and uh, I'm sure mm. looking after your kids is, is vitally important. Well, no doubt, vitally important as well. And I just want to make a point. I don't think anybody would think that you're scary. No one could imagine you being scary with that smile. You're not going to fall anybody, Sorry. We're um, way, way, way over time, but your, um, your story is really fascinating and inspiring to everybody, to all teachers, to all Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people alike, who, mm-hmm. of which there are many that want to make a difference. So how can people connect with you if they would like to do that? What's the best way to connect with you?
0: I can give my details to you after this and and I'm happy if this it circulates with the podcast because honestly I'm happy for anyone to reach out and pick my brain that was my thing growing up especially as an early teacher my thing was I'm not going to come in and reinvent the wheel there's got to be something that's worked in the past. let's find that let's use that and so a, a lot of my stuff was picking people's brains and going oh that makes sense and a lot of trial and error Um, and, you know, staying up to date on best practice. So I'm happy if people want to reach out, um, I'll give my email address and and other contact details if anybody wants or needs, and I'm happy if, um, you know, any listeners want to get in contact and, and, you know, have a chat, even if it's a general chat of what's community like, all the way through to what the hell is NZ Maths or visible learning, you know, the more in-depth stuff that you find in schools.
1: Well... Matui, it's been such a great pleasure to chat with you today. I know you're under adversity there in the kids' play area in Darm where you've travelled six hours from, from home last yes. night. I appreciate that you, you've taken the time and made some space uh, away from everybody, all the yes. noise of kids playing. And isn't it? It's a beautiful Where thing. I am. Hey, kids. <laughs> That's my son, son Hello. Hello. How are you?
0: Um, and that's my, he's my middle child and here's my other one. Hey Thomas, say hello, oh, Thomas. And, <laughs> Lassini. and I have a little girl, Lassini, there she is. Sorry, hey, Lassini. say hello, hello. my Grace and my little big girl Lassini. Oh. Hello Lassini, how are you? Oh sorry. And then there's number
1: four. Another high number four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, mate, it's it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today, to hear your story. Mm -hmm. You are inspiring. You do an amazing job. I'm so pleased that you were nominated, even though you were embarrassed about it, because you do inspire people. And part of the value of you winning an award is giving opportunity to young people, but also paying it forward with nominations and people like Jack, who are subsequently being nominated, Uh, and probably wouldn't if it wasn't for you and your story. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate uh, hearing from you and opening up to your story has been a real privilege. Until next week, take care, be kind, and be the difference for someone in need. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I have. We would love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians, achieving extraordinary things. Did you know that Awards Australia is a family-owned business that proudly makes a difference in the lives of those that make a difference for others? And we thank our corporate and not-for-profit partners for making our award programs possible. Do you know someone that's making a difference? Or maybe your business might like to sponsor an award contact us through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians, or head to our website, awardsaustralia.com. It would be great if you could share this episode with your network because who doesn't like a good news story? And please rate and review us. We would really love to hear your thoughts. Until next week, stay safe and remember, together we make a difference.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.